Hello and welcome to the Story Chat, the podcast where we talk all things story related. Today I'm going to talk about the basics of character. I'm Kay, a creative writing student, and I'm with... Gareth, uh, an ex-English literature student, very recently. And Percival, an uh, English literature and creative writing student. Okay, so before we start, I just wanted to say that when it comes to writing, there are no rules, but as per se... But there are common crafts and shapes that many authors use. These are just the fundamentals of character. Now we got that out of the way, let's let's start with the roles that characters play in the story. First we have the protagonist, who's normally the main character. Can you hear Flopsy right now? No, I can't. Is she the protagonist? <laughs> No, but she's making an awful lot of racket, so I wanted to see if you could hear it or not. Where did <laughs> Right, I'll go back. Did it sound alright, or should I start from the beginning again? It sounded pretty sounds good. good. Yeah. Okay. First we have the... Pra- Let's start with the roles that characters play within a story. First we have the protagonist, who is normally the main character which the story revolves around, who normally changes throughout the course of the story. This character will often de- have a developed backstory and should be sympathetic so the audience cares about what happens to them. This character will have an objective, either chosen or thrusted upon them, that helps drive the story forward. For example, in the first Hunger Games book, Katniss' goal is Katniss's for example in the first Hunger Games book, Katniss' goal is to stay alive and look after her family, and in Cinderella her goal is to get out of her situation and to find love and a happily ever after. Next we have the antagonist, this is also known as the villain, who is someone or something that puts obstacles in the way of the protagonist to stop them from achieving their goals. For example, the antagonist in Cinderella is the evil stepmother, who dislikes Cinderella and also sees her as a threat to her daughter's opportunity to marry the prince. This results in her creating obstacles to stop Cinderella from meeting the prince. Then we have the love interest. This is some um, then we have the love interest. This is quite self-explanatory. It's the person that the main protagonist falls in love with. Then we have the confidant. This is often the best friend or psychic of the protagonist, who the protagonist will often go to for advice or to confide in. These characters aren't always faithful to the protagonist and can end up betraying them. An example of a faithful character is Tony Stark, head of security Happy Hogan from the Iron Man films, and now works for, sorry, with Spider-Man. Next is the tertiary character, who are minor characters that flesh out the world and expand it. They don't normally have their own stories, and are commonly seen in fictions which are set in offices or school environments, as it would be rather weird to only have three students be notable. The final character role is the foil character, who is a person whose role is to emphasise the characteristics of the protagonist by being the complete opposite. An example of this is like Spock in the Star Trek movies, who is the complete opposite to Captain Kirk. Okay, so before we move forward to talking about... Okay, so before we move forward... I just wanted to quickly take a moment to identify the character roles within Red, White and Blue, Blue and Cinderella. Do you guys have any ideas about that? Uh, yes, in both of these stories you have a clear protagonist and a clear love interest. Um, I feel like the villain, there's a less clear idea of villainy in Red, White in Royal Blue, but considering as it's a more complicated story, that makes sense. I don't know, I think there is a very clear villain, which... I think the the villain in it is kind of the conservatist ideology. And, and then at the end, that is like more one singular person. But I think that the idea of villainy is seen in like his mother's campaign and also in uh, the queen. Uh, I, I think that there, there is a clear idea of villainy, even if that villainy isn't necessarily one person. And does it, does it make it a character? So, um, Villains don't have to be characters, they can be objects. Or societal forces. So they can very much be the conservative idea. Okay, cool. So who's the love interest? I I mean, that's pretty straightforward. That would be Henry. Yeah, I love Henry. Yeah, he's great. And have we got any 
confidence or tertiary tertiary characters or foil characters within those stories. Well, I think in Red Flame Royal Blue for the confidant characters, you definitely have like um, June and Nora. Also, I think depending on the Cinderella buttons. Yes, I was going to jump in with that. Um, (laughs) Sometimes buttons, you sometimes have small animal friends. I know it's it's made famous by Disney Cinderella, but that's not the only version I've seen that has them. But are small animal friends really confidants? When they talk, yes. But also, she relays her fears and sort of hopes onto them. So even though they can't necessarily respond, she is getting a sort of connection with them. I think I would agree. If if societal forces can count, I think small animals can count. So now we have had got a better understanding about the roles that characters play in stories. Let's move on to character types, which refer to how characters change over the course of a story. Let's start with a character that changes throughout the course of the story as events and the choices they make forces them to do so. This character is known as a dynamic character. While mostly related to the main protagonist, it's also beneficial to have side characters, minor characters and even the antagonist change over the course of the story as it makes the story more engaging for the reader or audience as they can see the character actively change throughout the story, making it more believable and realistic. To follow this, there is the round character. While similar to the dynamic character as they change throughout the story, however, a large difference is that these characters show the capacity and willingness to change right from the moment we meet them. Next, we have the static character. These are characters that do not change, and they are the same no matter what happens to them throughout the story. This often happens with comic relief characters and the villain, as there's sometimes no reason for them to change. Then we have the symbolic characters, characters who exist to represent a message or theme. For example, love, strength, forgiveness. This can be seen with with women in traditional fairy tales, who are presented as typically perfect, sweet, innocent virgins, that will obey their husband. It was a type of propaganda to teach children how to properly behave. Which leads us nicely onto character archetypes, which are basically a group of characteristics, strengths and weaknesses that make up a type of character trope. These, There are tons of archetypes, so many that I cannot possibly name them all. But if you're interested, please look into them, and I have also listed some websites in the description. There is the classic hero archetype, a character, often the protagonist, who is always there to rise to an occasion and save the day. Their strengths are courage, physical strength and determination. However, their weaknesses are cockiness, arrogance and always wanting to find another fight. Like Arthur from BBC's Merlin, who goes on many quests to save the day. He's often risked his own life to save others. But we all know that Merlin saves his ass in more more times than he would care to admit, and also spends most of the time teasing and messing around with him. The Jester is another archetype who often is used for comic relief, and their strengths are to be funny, playful, while also showing some insights and giving advice. Their weaknesses can be lack of being serious and superficial. Other archetypes include the Innocent, a traditional and often naive character who wants to be happy, but is also terrified of doing anything wrong. The Seducer, the seducer, who wants to control and gain power at all costs and have no morals. The artist whose greatest goal is for their dream to be realised and is very creative, but it's not always the best at problem solving or communicating their ideas. These and other archetypes create the basis to some of our favourite characters, with more archetypes being added to the huge list. But are some of the older archetypes becoming cringy and overused stereotypes? Or do they need to be predictable in order to get audiences to understand the characters quickly? Or both, depending on whether the story needs them. Let's kick off the conversation by talking about what archetypes you have seen and what character roles do they normally have. Well, as soon as you mentioned the Jester archetype, well, I guess it's not quite a character role yet, but as soon as you mentioned supporting characters and then the Jester archetype, I thought of Jaskia from... uh, 
from the Witcher series who fits both of those perfectly. I know he's not quite the same character that he is in the books. It's been a while since I've read those. Yeah, I've not seen The Witcher, but my sister's obsessed with it. (laughs) It sounds like a good programme. What sort of things does he do that remind you of that archetype and the jester role? Well, first of all, his official job is a bard so he basically travels around singing songs causing fights wooing people generally just being like basically being the most enjoying little sugar cube in the show nice self-editing it's a thing (laughs) so what sort of role do you think that he has is he the sort of confident character is he the antagonist is he the love interest is he the, a tertiary character or a foil character? I would say secondary or foil. Definitely a supporting character. Some people would have it that he's a lover, but we haven't seen that on on stage yet, as were. Nice. On screen. Dang it. We haven't seen that on screen explicitly yet. Percival, do you have anything else to add on sort of archetypes that you've seen and what sort of roles do they play within a story? I was thinking about, like, looking at the list of archetypes and I I noticed the, like, the caregiver archetype who's uh, one of the websites he gave defines it, like, the strengths is kind of big heart and selfish. Big heart and selfless and weakness is... Uh, one of them was values others' survival, others' survival over their own, and the lover was similar, where kind of all of their strengths and weaknesses were related to how they interacted with the person, and specifically like the protagonist. And I just feel like so often you get like women in these roles, especially like caregiver, and I just feel like you end up with characters whose main purpose is to care for usually the male protagonist. And it just gets repeated so often that that, that so many of the roles for women, and I think that often, like, the idea of characters being, like, fridged or, like, killed off to propel the male storyline, and I think that kind of comes from these archetypes where their main story purpose is to support someone else, so they're not really a character in their full right. Yeah, I was going to say, doesn't the caregiver always die? Yeah. <laughs> and that quite often leads to the climax of the lead character. They're like, oh no, the person that's cared for me has died. Let's go and revenge them. And like, it, it, it works from a story perspective, and I see why it gets done. And of course, females aren't the only ones who this happens to. I mean, I think a notable example would be like Uncle Ben and Spider-Man. Also like a character who's killed off to propel the protagonist. Mm, Yes. But I think so often it's women that it's just... uh. In Spider-Man films, not Spider-Man, in superhero films, so often the parents of the superhero are dead or missing. And in a way, it's, uh, I noticed that I noticed that Orphan is listed as an archetype, and I looked at that and I thought, I didn't know that. Why? What so much is the difference between Orphan and Child? And I suppose it's a bit like how support characters get fridged. It's easy to be a hero if you don't have anyone holding you back, and it's easy to create drama if you get rid of the support. Um... That sounds a little hard line, which isn't what I quite meant to do there. But no, I agree with yeah. you. Like the superheroes, um, quite often they become superheroes because they need to find a place. And probably one of the most, not necessarily easiest, but one way of doing that is to like have maybe an uneasy childhood that come that could have come about by not have by parents dying young and the sort of whirlwind that comes after that and then they're like I need to find a place and many superheroes through being superheroes then find found family oh very true also I've just realised you have the combination of the two in Batman because you know 
we had the support characters die and conveniently became an orphan hero. Um, okay, not very convenient for Batman. I'm sorry, man. I've not seen Batman. Oh, it's his origin story. His parents are killed uh, after they go out in Gotham for the evening and he becomes a superhero, but like a dark one because his parents are dead and now he's an orphan and he has billions. And I'm, I'm kind of making fun of Batman as not really. I, I feel like you could also argue that there's still kind of a caregiver role in that in like Alfred, you know? Ooh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, and I feel like the origin story to Batman is often kind of just, you know, it's there, but it's not. Well, I guess sometimes it is. In some newer films, it's more. Can like, we can prominent. we give the Lego Batman movie a huge pat on the back for the um? There's this wonderful scene where basically Alfred sort of talks through all the different adaptations of Batman we've had and suggests that maybe Batman needs new coping strategies for the death of his parents and does he want to talk about his feelings? And Batman essentially has like a fit on the floor about it, like a child. <laughs> That was great. Um, yeah, there's definitely been a trend towards a lot of a darker Batman, I think. Um, personally, I the only Batman I've really seen is the, um, I believe, I want to say 1970s one with um, Adam West, the TV show, which was oh, significantly yes, more taste. fun. <laughs> and that that kind of... Batman who's just enjoying being Batman will always be my favorite, I think, because you can just, you, you can tell that the, the cast is just having fun with it, and eh, nothing makes a lot of sense, but it, it's great, it's just really enjoyable. It sounds it. I've, I've dabbled in a few different Batmans, but generally in the fashion of I went to my local library and I read all the comics on the shelf, so I really don't know what my uh, what my bat education actually was. I don't know any of the names. So I do quite like it when films take archetypes and then and they take all the stereotypes and stuff with them and then they turn it into a very kind of witty, not taking itself too seriously movie, which is often quite funny. Now, as soon as I mention this, all movies that I like that have that style have gone completely out of my head. <laughs> That's helpful. <laughs> I feel like The Princess Bride might fit as one. Well, yes. Because, you know, you have the great pirate uh, outlaw, you have the uh, the swordsman, the giant, the princess, and also the bride, uh, the evil king, the right-hand man, the you know, there's there's so much going on in that, but they are all very full of character. It's a really nice, really nice piece, that one. It is a very good movie that is just, that is equally bad and amazing, that just, oh, such a beautiful movie. I've not seen it in years, but I do like it. <laughs> Always worth a rewatch. That, that one's like hot soup. It, you know, You know when you just want something comforting? You might not always pay attention, but you put the movie on and then you're like, ah. Isn't there yeah. a sick kid in that movie? Yes, there absolutely and is. He's reading it and it's like, oh, that's how this movie makes me feel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's perfect. Actually, side note, we should do an episode on framing devices and we need to talk about The Princess Bride. I'm just going to turn off my mic and put that in our planning sheet. Don't mind me continue talking. <laughs> I think also with The Princess Bride, though, there are clear archetypes in it, but I don't think any of the characters are reduced to archetypes either. Like, I think they're all their own characters, which I think is very important. Oh, yeah, I didn't mean that they were entirely the archetype. I just mean that it's like they are very clearly there to fit a role, but it's like spun in a way that it's very self-owned yeah so it makes the character stronger instead of predictable if that makes sense yes i know other words besides yes <laughs> do you guys have any other points you want to add now or should i ask the next question our next question sounds good so um we kind of touched on this already but what sort of 
archetypes, roles, or character types? Are there any that feels too predictable or outdated or overused? Are there any that can make you feel uncomfortable or... Yeah? I think... See, I have mixed opinions about this because I really like a romance plotline in a piece of media and it can keep me invested in a show or something very easily. But I feel like it's very interesting that when you were describing character roles that one of the like key ones you described, even before like a confidant friend, was the love interest. And also that there, there doesn't really seem to be a question of are they loyal like there is with a confidant. It's just assumed that there will be a love interest who is loyal to the protagonist. It, it's a role that gets repeated so much. And I, I don't know. I, I like the role. But yeah, it just, it, it, it's interesting. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> No, I agree with you. It's it's one of those roles that are like we need it and we enjoy it, but it can be very much shoehorned in and sometimes rushed. Yeah. To the point where you may meet the love interest at the beginning and the beginning of the movie, and then suddenly at the end of the movie they get married, and I'm like, we had a five minute conversation at the beginning. You've not been mentioned for two and a half hours, and now you're getting married. Okay. I think okay. Also- you get a case where you get some of these writers going, I, I need a female character in this. And then they look at the roles that they have and they're like, well, I think she's a love interest. And it's a bit tiring after a while. Like, female women have multitude jobs. <laughs> women have complex lives out of just playing this role of love interest and support for men. And I don't think media, media has a habit of encouraging harmful stereotypes about that, I think. Do you have any examples? I, I don't watch a lot of action movies and stuff, but I feel like I've seen that in those types of movies more. Where yeah, I would agree with that. I think actually an example would be the, the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Which, um, I mean, you you do have Nebula as kind of an antagonist, but out of the like main group of protagonists, the only female is um, Gamora. Yeah, and when I was watching that back when it came out, so I was like fifteen, I think, and I quite, I really liked. I wanted them to get together. I was like, yes, this seems like a good ship, but. I don't know, like, I get... And I was kind of disappointed that they didn't get together in that movie. But I I think growing up and just being more aware of kind of media and stuff, I think even just... Like, she should have maybe been even less of a love interest than she was. But yeah, I don't know, it just kind of... Yeah, I agree with that. I also... I was just thinking, it also reminds me about the second um, reboot Star Trek movie, um, the 2013 one, Into Darkness. Um, There is a character, I can't remember her name, but um, she comes in and suddenly Captain Kirk is incredibly interested in her and like a relationship is developing throughout, for about 10 minutes of them actually talking and they kind of have a bit of a moment at the end and like it's suggestive they're gonna get together and then it's she is completely not in the third movie whatsoever i was like what was the point in that just i wasn't interested anyway but you forced this relationship and now she's not even in the third movie okay (laughs) also she screams a lot during the movie and i yeah (laughs) i feel like that's even more problematic because it just at least to me it feels like the directors are going no He's not gay. Look at this. He has a girlfriend. He has this. Yeah. No, no gay here. No, my, I don't really. I have a, like a, a not great relationship with how the reboot has portrayed women on Star Trek. The, 
the female characters in Star Trek aren't as well developed as they could be or as I have seen in other films. I've been watching, re-watching them and I was like, why did I admire this so much when I was like nine? <laughs> when the first one came out. I was like, there's one woman that we see on this entire ship. One woman that we have a connection with and she doesn't really do very much of the action stuff. <laughs> And it's very sad. <laughs> That's actually quite interesting because I feel like the original Star Trek has quite a like I want I like a legacy of kind of having more like female and especially women of color representation in media kind of before a lot of others. So the fact that they came back to it all these years later, they managed to do female representation worse. Is goodness. Yeah, I feel, I feel like it's similar to the original, as in they're still doing things that, in the time that the original came out, would be like very much taboo. But it's just not caught up to the point where we are now. <laughs> and also, they're still wearing short dresses. Why are they wearing short dresses on a starship? They also took away their sleeves. So, yes. like, the men are in full trousers and jumpers, and the girls are in miniskirts with short cap sleeves. And I'm just like, yeah. but they can't how does run. that work? They no, literally run. just, like, the temperature of the bridge. They must have arguments all the time. <laughs> yes. The men, are, men who are wearing long sleeves. Oh, it's really hot in here. Can you turn the temp down? No, I'm freezing. I am freezing. I am freezing. <laughs> At least women are on the bridge, so. <laughs> yeah, but I guess that is the thing, right? Like, is it just enough in, when do you say the first one came out? Like 2010 or something? 2009, 2013, and the latest one was 2016, and they still had not changed. Yeah, like, is it enough in, like, 2016 for women to just be in the room? No. I was joking. <laughs> I-, I know you weren't. I was being a bit pedantic as well there. <laughs> I know, sorry, I'm teasing. <laughs> it, it got me mad when yes. I was rewatching it going, why, why? Oh, there's a female general. Oh, she's on it for two minutes. Why? <laughs> I want to cry. By the way, can I just say, yeah. I do love Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> I like the original originals the um sort of tv shows and things that came after that i just don't idolize it as much as i used to (laughs) i do feel like the ladies in the reboot star trek movies are all um i don't want to say victims of examples of this like you know oh we have to be progressive and we have to let the girl do stuff and take names and kick ass. So I think I disagree with the idea that they don't do anything in the movies. But it is. It's just like, oh, yep, there's only one important one there and she's still a love interest. And, yeah, I don't know. I didn't mean she doesn't do anything. I just no, mean that compared that. to the men. But I do, yeah, and I do think that's the thing, because it's like the aesthetics is like, oh, she's really badass, but it's like, yeah, but who is she when she's not yeah, talking I to feel the like men? You get to know either the minor male characters way more than you know a horror. Mm. You don't really know what her life's like outside of the ship. You know a little bit about Scotty's background. You know a bit about Bones' background. You know he has an ex-wife. You know that she took everything in the divorce. You know he hates um, the. You know he hates space, and the only reason why he works there is because he has no money, and he has an aberration for Captain Kirk, and he's his friend. You know Spock's history and all of his sort of stuff with his parents and how he's grown up as the outsider no matter where he was you know Captain Kirk's history you even know I've forgotten his name oh ah um the one that is gay in the last Star Trek movie oh Sulu Sulu 
Yeah, Sulu, I thought you were gonna say the uh, uh, Shekov, Shekov, the kid on the um, the kid yeah. on the. Oh, um, I love him. <laughs> people teleport him thing. Yeah. Fuck. Warp pad. Chekhov, the kid on the warp pad. Yeah. I don't think we know too much about his history. Chekhov. Well, yeah, you know he's Russian, I guess, and young. Yeah, um, which is more than you whereas, know about um, Yeah. You don't know where she's from. We know she's top of her class. We know she's very competent. We know she has little patience for fools. Which yep. makes her an excellent foil for both Kirk and Spock, honestly. Yes. Um, I mean, just her in different history. ways. <laughs> yes, yes, no, that's exactly what I'm trying to illustrate. But that's the thing. Yeah. You you don't get that history. You get her reacting to other people and everything else. You have to kind of infer or make up, and you don't have to do that so much for some of the other characters. And it wouldn't be too hard. Nope. To put it in. Yeah, I'm not saying that she's a bad character. She's a very good character, and she's a very good female character in many ways. I just mean that for, especially when the last Star Trek movie came out, which is 2016, it just didn't feel as sort of as strong as women have been portrayed. I don't mean strength as in physical. I mean strength as in the character. Yes. To, how it should be like what is her background what has she been through i feel like i'd be very mean i mean i think it's fair criticism so you're good we could subtitle this episode the one in which we worry we're being very mean all the time (laughs) i've been worried about me that's what i've been saying as well because i love star trek i love star trek i would be a bad sort of well, writer and critic and whatever we are, if I didn't say it has flaws. What about being mean this episode? <laughs> Some writers are bad. Yeah, but the last Star Trek ri- was written by one of the actors, which makes me feel more bad. <laughs> oh, don't let actors write things. I've seen which actors one? try to write things. Simon Pegg. I mean, he's written good movies before. Yes, I know. Which is the thing is, I'm kind of to surprised. Put it in context, he did not have long to write it. He only had a couple of months, and he did it with a writing oh. partner who he had never written with before. Oh, interesting. Um, because they had an original script that um, I believe it was Paramount, but I could be wrong. Throughout, because it was too Star Trekky. I'm sorry, they threw out a Star Trek script. For being too Star Trek-y. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, and for more context, um, the 2016 release was the 50th year anniversary. So you would have thought the most appropriate time for a Star Trek-y Star Trek film would be then. But apparently no. Mm. So we got a very rushly written, that did have very good elements, and it was a very good idea. It was, but it was, it it was rushed. It was rushed. <laughs> oh, but one thing that um, Gareth said earlier made me about um, kind of this idea of female empowerment is I think there's been this really weird combination between the character archetypes of like kind of the everyman uh, protagonist and the love interest and this idea of female empowerment that needs to just like kick things and you get this kind of very ordinary protagonist who's you know he somehow usually like a chosen one or something and then this highly competent girlfriend and then who just kind of stands back for the middle for the like the not the middle for kind of the end confrontation even though she's been significantly more competent throughout the film but the protagonist needs to end the movie and I think that that's just kind of this there's been this rise in it that it's just it's really weird um I know one example that I've seen talked about in relation to this is the Lego movie and I'm not sure that's the best example to use because a a lot of that is parody but I think there is definitely other examples of this where they've decided to try to make the women character more empowered. So they've just kind of 
made her a bit overpowered and not really thought about the consequences of it. Yes, which is the audience, well, at least me in the audience sitting there going, why isn't this movie about her? Yeah. And I think it's just so weird, this idea that female empowerment means, means that all the female characters must, like, punch everything and be just, like, physically sometimes, strong. And sometimes the emotion's being taken out of it, and I'm like, where, where's the human side of you? Yeah. You know we've I mean? some, you know, caregiving women roles who just die for men with these, you know, just punching bags. Not punching bags, that's the wrong word. Like, robots that punch things, almost. And that's not really any better. Can't we just have some, like, actually well-written female characters, please? Yes. Yes. Yes, we should. Have you guys seen Promising Young Woman? I have not. It's very, very good. It's very well-written. She's got very... It's written by... Why did I try and say who it was written by? I can't remember. Written by one of the women who was in Call the Midwife and she is now writing the book for the Andrew Lloyd Webber Cinderella. I can't remember her name. Anyway, she's done a very good job. She's got very well written Emeralda, women. Emeralda Fennell. I hope Emerald Fennell, right. yes. That's her name, Emerald Fennell. Um, yeah, she's got very well written women. Very well written men as well. Um, Oh, it's such a good movie. I can't really talk about what it's about on this podcast because it's not um, family friendly <laughs> in any way, shape or form. Um, but it is very, very good and you guys should watch it if you're looking for good, well-written characters. Yeah, I saw the trailer for that and it looked really interesting, but I haven't yet watched it. But I will. Oh, you really should. It's so well-written. <laughs> And that's a good example of Hollywood just needing more good, competent female writers and directors. Yeah. One of the things that I mentioned in my little speechy thing at the beginning um, was static characters and how it was my least favourite type of character and that um, they don't change throughout the course of the story. Would you guys agree with me? Do you have anything to add? Um, Are they needed? Am I just being a idiot? <laughs> I think I would disagree with you to some extent about them being the worst characters because I think symbolic characters... That's what you said, right? Symbolic characters was the last type you last said? Static. No, so they no, no. don't change. Symbolic, I like symbolic characters. Static is when they don't I change. I feel like symbolic characters are often static characters, though. I th- especially the ones that are like representing of like like the virtue virtuous i feel like so often they're just held up to these pedestals beyond any reasonable character should be and then they're killed off and i think i find that to be a lot more of an annoying type of character than a static character personally i think that's that's fair i did uh, i did kind of say um, at the beginning, but not when I repeated that um, I I feel like they have a place. I just my issue is that they tend to the static characters tend to be overused and they can be badly written, which is feels like because I see that a lot and because it's a thing when I see it, I'm like, oh oh, you're going to be badly written. And I like characters to change, and I love characters learning and discovering new things, so I think it's just a personal preference sort of thing. don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with them, it's just not my cup of tea. Yeah, I think it, it depends, because I think you can have some narratives that, especially on the short term, they work if like the character doesn't constantly need to be changing. I think of things like especially on long-running TV shows where you have kind of procedural dramas and stuff that, I mean, a lot of those shows you have, like, long-term character growth, but, you know, in the short-term characters are pretty static because kind of things happen slowly, and I, I don't think I mind that. I think it really just depends on what type of story you're trying to tell and with 
you're putting the emphasis on characters or plot. And I do tend to read more character-driven works, but I think there's there's a place for just fun, plot-driven books that kind of pull you along and aren't necessarily as like introspective. Yeah, I would agree with that. Gareth, do you have anything to add? Not really, no. There were several points in that discussion where I was, you know, going to jump in and say Ross did the same thing, so I was mostly just sort of sitting back and nodding. <laughs> um, as I'm probably a fan of the Buildings Roman most of all, I do like characters that change, but I also think you need static characters because, you know... I think you gave the example of, like, villainous characters. Can you imagine if if a villainous character changed in the middle of the story? Um, oh, you know, I agree with that. I, the whole I thing. And, I, in a way, it might even steal the, uh, steal the role of protagonist or steal the spotlight from the protagonist. Um, but, yeah, I, I think there's a need for both. There's a need for a balance. Okay, I think maybe me saying that they're the worst type of character is a bit strong. <laughs> I, think I you mean, if you if you feel me. that, you feel that, and you're allowed to feel that. Well, no, because <laughs> I agree with I generally agree with everything you guys have said. Um, I think what I don't like is when it when characters don't need to be static and that's why I go oh you're a static character and probably when static characters are well written I don't necessarily notice that they're a static character so I don't flag it in my brain as bad does that make sense Uh, I see so maybe that's a flaw with me and I need to go away and (laughs) actually analyze me some more movies and go okay you're a good static character i think so this is going to be a very obscure example so feel free to cut this but i'm thinking there's this show in canada and i i've showed gareth a bit of it but it follows about i think about a dozen 10 10 to a dozen characters from this small town and kind of their day-to-day lives and the the original show ran for six seasons. And I think throughout that, they are all very static characters in that by by the start and the end of the show, they they're very recognizable as like the same person. But I think it it worked because it's it just kind of captured the not the repetitive of everyday life but kind of the the simplicity of it almost and I think in life there are there are moments that we go through that you know that change us quite a bit but I think there's also long stretches of life that don't as much and that's okay as well and most stories do focus on these more dramatic periods of change but I think there can be a really good story told about the the parts of life that kind of just happen, but should also be, you know, remembered and are important, even if there isn't a kind of, oh, I don't know what exactly I'm, I mean, but like, yeah, there's something to be said about kind of more static stories as well. Yes, agree. Um, yeah. <laughs> I have seen parts of this show, and yes, it it almost by necessity has to have static characters because they are kind of telling a static story, if that makes sense. I don't know. Actually, I feel like I'll just be repeating what you said, so let's get this bit. Also, it is a good show. It's called Corner Gas. It was not Amazon Prime. I think they've t- taken it off. Maybe they'll put it back on. But I do recommend if you can find it. It's it's very funny and it captures kind of small town, rural Canadian life. Yeah, it does sound very interesting and um, something to look into. But I do agree that a lot of times static characters 
are just done out of lazy writing and lazy writing is never good no but through that this conversation definitely you guys have made me realize and also me just sitting back and thinking i've realized that static characters are a useful tool to having in your writers talk about if they are warranted and needed and not just the development of lazy writing which is what i think i connected it to wrongfully i think that's a very common connection to make though so it's not just you um do you guys have any more points to add or should we move on i think i think move on okay hello oh Pause for oh, Thomas. Sorry. Context. Um, Percival has a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize my mic was on. Well, it wasn't, and then I think he turned it on. <laughs> he wants we the world to know. We just heard this. Oh, hi. <laughs> I've been doing that for a minute before as well, and then my mic just turned on. Sorry about that, guys. It's all right. <laughs> So my next sort of question is, how do character roles and type impact story structure? What are the, do they have a, do they have an impact in how the story is made? So for example, the protagonist definitely does because in some stories, the protagonist is the story. So what do you guys have to add about that? Uh, agree. Um, especially in like, if you want to put it in, sort of simple archetypal terms you know you've got your protagonist and then you've got whatever is happening in the story which is happening to the protagonist or in some way involves the protagonist and immediately you've got the two obvious choices of whether the main character leans into what's going on or resists what's going on because that's two very different directions and types of stories already despite the fact it's the same situation if that, does that make sense yeah yeah it does cool <laughs> yeah so i think very much when the character that's obviously a character driven plot but do characters influence plot driven stories as well or does the plot have to imp- control the character in order for it to be a plot driven story well, one example I think of is, uh, it's not even a book that I particularly um, would recommend, but um, The Road by Cormac McCarthy is, it's a post-apocalyptic novel, and it's about a father and son kind of traveling across America trying to find safety. And you you very much have kind of a protector archetype for the father and then the the innocence of childhood for this child and I think if you had different characters in there the plot would be very different um like if you had kind of two adults in it um so I, I think in that way the plot is quite um changed by the fact that one of them is this innocent child who doesn't remember the world before and that's a very important element of the story sorry what um book is this uh that it's called the road by cormac mccarthy Uh um i i read it for school several years ago is this uni or school no it's for it was before uni i think they made it made us read it when we were like 15 would not recommend fifteen oh year olds read this book. That I mean, is rough as yeah. hell. I I read it once in one sitting and uh, Oh god, that's I, painful. Why? Um, I think it was kind of compelling. It was like I I need to know where this is going and I never want to have to read it again, but I can't put it down, so yeah. I'm just gonna sit here till it's done. Um yeah, and the point about there being an you know, one adult and one child, like the the grown up and the innocent, um, reminds me that I think there's some flashback scenes to there being a wife, and I'm not sure if it's 
confirmed or or if I just inferred this from what was being said, but I think the wife commits suicide because she can't handle how the world has changed. And yeah, that already that. Yeah, that already gives you such a sense of or no, I'm not saying that, that that gives you a huge sense of her character. It doesn't, but it does give you a sense of her values and her capabilities in like a few lines for a character that is no longer there. And I yeah, I thought that was pretty strong. And also knowing that it makes me think if he had written the road with the wife alive, it would be very different because there would be, well, obviously it would be very different, sorry, way to state the obvious, but it would be very different in a specific way because she ends her life because she can't cope with all the changes, whereas the child doesn't understand all the changes and goes along with what his father says, even when he's not fully sure about anything. I think it would also be a very different story if you had, if like the father had died for some reason and you were told the story of the wife and child. I think just that shift in characters would have made it very different as well. Yes, I'm not sure how far they would have got. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or like, if they literally that story gone that far to begin <laughs> with. Yes, yeah. Like that story is. In a way, that story is not so much a story as it's just, it's their life, and their life is still going because he knows a lot. Oh my god, I'm going to be quiet. I hate, <laughs> I hate everything I'm saying right now. No, I um, think you're making a good point. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay. Uh, you guys uh, are both saying what I was kind of thinking before I proposed the question. Um, yeah, stories would be completely different if you change the characters. <laughs> okay, yes, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> because the characters, even if it's plot-driven, the characters, the plot needs the characters in order to exist. Yes. Yes, Kay. Am I just rehashing what you're saying? <laughs> no, yes, you're, you're in making a more general a and succinct way, so it's good. Yes. Also, you're making a statement, whereas I had kind of wandered off into contemplation of the road and was just like, ah! <laughs> it's fine. That's what we do here. Yep. We go off track when Although, we talk about Star Trek for 20 minutes. <laughs> the irony, I got lost while I was talking about the road. <laughs> do we have another question? Yeah. I feel like I should have had this just after... An- the first question but oh well we'll have it now um do you think that character types and archetypes have changed over time and developed with the times and hopefully have they progressed have some of them regressed what do we think i would like to say that yes i think they have or at least the commonality or like you know how often you see an archetype definitely changes and I think, again, um, as I was saying earlier, there's been a big shift between kind of not, yeah, kind of more caring, nurturing, and emo- very emotional women character to very non-emotional women character. And I, I don't know if that's progression or digression. It's just a change in the type of female characters we see again and again. And I think there's definitely been that in media with this kind of female empowerment movement. And it annoys me, which is why I keep talking about it. Um, But it's still, yeah. So I think you do see, you have seen that change of type character archetype. Yeah, I would agree with that. Sorry, I'm I'm just about to change subject, but has LGBT... QIA plus stories started to change and develop. In my opinion, they're starting to get more of their LGBT sort of Q stories are starting to become more within themselves and they're starting to actually get stories about them instead of being like the psychic character or the goofball or like whatever. They're actually seeming to get their own stories. Would you guys agree? 
So is that a change in, not necessarily archetype, but definitely sort of like types of characters that we are saying, seeing on screen? I would agree with that. Like there are definitely more stories focused on like LGBTQ plus people, which is good, but I think there are still harmful archetypes within that. I, I don't know. Sorry if I shouldn't say this on podcast, but I watched um a really good YouTube video by um T Tinor, I believe that's how you say her name, which was about it was titled Does the Media Have Obsession with Queer Pain? And that was a really interesting video because she was discussing how there are benefits to seeing someone go through the same struggles as you, but so often we have these queer characters who are defined by their struggle in relation to their sexuality in specific. like, And that often people expect depth of queer characters to be in relation to not just their life in general, but specifically their sexuality and how they've struggled with that. And that can also be a very harmful thing to see repeated all the time when there isn't as many representations of queer characters who aren't necessarily happy all the time, but their struggle is maybe related to something else in their life or that not everything has to come back to sexuality. And I thought that was a really interesting discussion because I have seen a lot of kind of dramas about queer people in comparison to just kind of like fun romance things or even just as characters who are queer without it really being as big of a deal yes I would 100% agree with that like I I really want to see um dramas comedies um just books anything where characters are just you just happen to have a character who is gay but they're going about their day like anyone else and other things impact their stories like you don't necessarily you don't really get a straight character who everything about them is straight so why should we have an lgbtqia plus character where everything about them is just about being that so yeah i agree yeah in a way it feels like the uh air quotes problem with uh female characters where they become the love interest or the fridged because that's all big media writers seem to know how to do with them like that's the route that's what you do so like oh okay queer person okay dramatic coming out narrative or uh, violent homophobic struggles and yeah it's like yes the particular background that characters background and personality and you know your sexuality opens specific storylines but that doesn't mean it's the only storyline available or that it's the only storyline that you should do because that fell apart at the end sorry does anybody want to take that up yeah i think there should just be a range of characters that we get to see from every group like there, there should be a range of female character stories, of queer stories, of, you know, characters of colors stories. And I think, well, archetypes can be very helpful to kind of get a basis of what, um, you know, are some of the kind of good characters and could be a good, you know, starting point. I think if you're trying to religiously follow these archetypes and stereotypes that come before then it just kind of ends up being an echo chamber of tired storylines from marginal groups. And I think that does become a bit of a problem, but that doesn't mean that archetypes and stuff can't be a good place to start with telling a story, just that there needs to be a wide range of kind of archetypes and character stories for all groups, not just for straight white men. I was just going to say, one kind of representation of a queer character I quite liked was in, I can't remember what season of Doctor Who it was in, but um, 
Billy, I believe that's her name. I'm pretty sure. Um, she was a companion and she was, um, a lesbian. And I mean, there was one arc where she was dating a girl and then they, they turned into water because, you know, it's Doctor Who and stuff like that happens. But I was just so shocked to see the amount of people online who were like, you know, she's okay, but she needs to stop bringing up the fact that she's a lesbian. And I'm like, it, it's come up like a, a half a dozen times, maybe. Uh, a few times in the context of just, you know, men hitting on her and be, her being like, no, I'm not really into that. Um, but that never comes up with, like, straight characters. And it, if, a, if a, you know, a straight character gets hit on and they don't say anything, that's also an indication of their sexuality. And it's just, yeah, not everything should be revolved around a character's queer sexuality but I feel like so often people just love to bring it up even when it's not mentioned that much they just they notice it more and so yeah I don't know where I was going exactly yeah I agree with that also I realized I was incorrect her name wasn't Billy it was just Bill so sorry about that it's been a while Gareth do you have anything else to add no so we'll move on to my final question. In in your opinion, what makes a good, well-rounded character? Uh, I need question. to see... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying that's a big question that I just asked. <laughs> it is a big question. I just need to see that there's something going on behind the eyes, which is an extremely nebulous thing to say, but it can be done in such small ways that it's always possible to do. And this would be helpful if I could think of an example, but my brain has gone blank. Um, I'm going to sit back and try and think of one. Um, Percival, do you have any, uh, do you have an opinion on this in the meantime? I think one way that I tend to at least engage with characters is, how they interact with people they care about, which I think is part of the reason that I often really like um, like romantic relationships in books because I think oftentimes they can be very kind of showing of a character of what they do when they're not like fighting or trying to solve a problem, but just how they interact with someone that they love. And I think that can be very... Yeah, I, I just kind of like how that portrays characters a lot of the time. Yeah, I can dig that. I think also, because sometimes books tend to forget to write friendships, so I think that does happen more with romantic relationships, because they tend to be closer and have more screen time or book page time with romantic interests rather than they do just friends, but I think that can also be done with a really well-written friendship. Yeah, I agree. I also, to add, um, I like to know the history of a character. So what, and I'm not just even talking about protagonists, even like the villain, what makes them act the way that they're acting? Obviously it's not always needed and it's not always possible, but the majority of the time I want to know where my, where the characters are coming from what the histories are because that to me makes it more human because everyone is impacted by their past and their past has a large influence over the actions they make so in order for me as a reader or audience member to really connect with the actions that they're making I like to know what's happened in the past not in a way where I'm being told but like it's suggested or like this could have happened or that could have happened or whatever yeah yeah i think a well done backstory can definitely add a lot of depth to a character i'm still racking my brain for that perfect example of like and also i'm trying to think of side characters because you generally you get given so much more information about protagonists because obviously protagonists um 
that I felt like it would be better to find an example from a side character who... I love side characters. They're yeah. so needed, and sometimes they're just so funny, and sometimes they are really well developed. Sometimes you know them, you have more of affiliation with them than you do the main character, because they just make more sense. <laughs> and sometimes they just sketch out, like, just enough that this character functions for their role as a support character or a side character, and yet you feel like you know them well enough just through, you know, actions they do or the things they're going to do later or food choices they make. Not necessarily not necessarily to boil it down to likes and dislikes, but yeah, I'm having a very hard time trying to think of examples of I can see something is going on behind their eyes, but I, I hope you understand what I mean by that because it is different for every writer but um, yeah when it's pulled off you can tell because you don't find them flat yeah I think I get what you mean that there's there's a sense of humanity in the character yes there's a sense that they've you know they don't just go away and turn off in a corner when they're not interacting with the other characters yeah, I agree with that. And also, going back to what you were saying about actions, I thought of the um, common phrase, actions speak louder than words. And I think with yes. the side characters, because their actions are probably more seen than what they say, it develops their character kind of a lot more in a way in which we're like, oh, oh, that's nice. Because we've not been told it. Well, with sort of the main characters... I think not always, again, it's very different depending on what you're watching, but sometimes, or reading, sometimes you get, because they want to give you more, you get told a lot more, so you can sometimes relate more with the side character where you're just shown it. Does that make sense? I think so, yes. Yeah. Any final points to make? Uh, Yes, I actually have one, and it is... um... A recommendation for writers who are trying to kind of figure out the, like character archetypes and some of the foundations to characters is one book I really sorry uh, my cat is running around the house like a crazy cat um, sorry one book I really recommend is the writer's guide to character traits um, I have the second edition and it's written by um, Linda Edelston who is has a PhD in psychology and in it it has well has quite a lot of useful things about how people tend to develop but one of them is um adult kind of personality types and it has like 23 and it has kind of some of the common ways that they view themselves and view or how they kind of yeah how they act interpersonally and just kind of when they're alone and some of their traits ranging from how they kind of a a regular presentation of traits are very extreme and I think a book like this with a very psychological based research based approach to characters can be a bit more helpful than lists which just show kind of traits which um, appear in media again and again, if that makes sense. Um, because those can often get more stereotyped, where I feel like some research-based things are more wide and nuanced and can kind of capture the complexities of human life. So I think if you if you want to write better characters, that would be a book I would recommend or even just kind of something to research as psychology so i think that's the end of the episode here today thank you very much for listening i hope you've enjoyed it um we will see you next time bye goodbye bye